This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen along with you. Almost 30 million Americans have diabetes, and more than 1.4 million Americans are diagnosed with diabetes every year. Research into this disease is of crucial importance, offering hope to those with this debilitating disease. And here to share with us some of the new efforts in diabetes research taking place right here in central New York is Dr. Ruth Weinstock. She's a distinguished professor of medicine, research professor of neuroscience physiology, and the Division Chief of Endocrinology, Diabetes, and Metabolism at Upstate Medical University and at Upstate's Joslin Center. Welcome, Dr. Weinstock. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. So research into diabetes is really important. Just give us an overview as to why that is and, and what kind of is, is on the kind of cutting edge these days? Well, so diabetes is so common and increasing in incidence and prevalence. It's really important to be able to better control the disease, although our ultimate goal is to cure and prevent the disease. And we're fortunate in that there's a lot of very exciting research going on now for both type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Here at Upstate, we have over 20 active research protocols, clinical trials related to both forms of diabetes. Um, And so there's a lot of hope that Both the complications may be prevented in the future and hopefully the disease totally uh, cured in the future. And through the Joslin Center, you're engaged in some of these trials, but the the point is that there are actually national studies in which you are a participant. Yes. So these are really broad, broad ranging studies. Absolutely. So we have a number of studies that are sponsored by the National Institutes of Health that we do cooperatively with other diabetes centers, um, as well as some of our own research. And we're just very excited about the direction this is going. So today you're, you're going to talk to us about some of the new research in type 1 diabetes. And just for the, the our listeners' sake, just quickly explain the difference between type 1 and type 2. So type 1 diabetes is a form of diabetes that is most common onset in childhood, although it can occur at any age. And one misconception is that uh, uh, concerns adults, and actually adults can also get type 1 diabetes at any, age, at any age. And in type 1 diabetes, the body destroys its own insulin-producing cells. It's what we call an autoimmune disease. And so you don't have uh, insulin anymore, which is a hormone that you need to keep your blood sugars normal. So people with type 1 diabetes need to take insulin, which has to be given either by injection or an insulin pump. So they're totally dependent on insulin for yes. life, basically. Exactly. And, and they can't produce it themselves. Correct. But with type 2, they have some ability to produce insulin? So type 2 diabetes, they have some ability, although they're still deficient in insulin. And over time, actually, individuals with type 2 uh, lose progressively the ability to make insulin. So many of them, after many decades of type 2 diabetes, can have very little insulin production, just like people with type 1. But certainly in the early years of the disease, and for some people for their whole lifetime with the disease, they make enough insulin that it can be controlled with oral medications. And the vast majority of these new patients that I've been talking about really are the type 2. But the type 1, even though it's the smaller number in this country, is growing as well. Absolutely. So type 1 diabetes, unfortunately, is increasing uh, 3 to 5% a year. We don't really understand why that is happening, and it's occurring in children younger and younger, yeah. um, even children one years of age. So it's... Um, uh, it's now, unfortunately, extremely common in both our pediatric population, but also in our adult population. So let's get to some of the studies, because it's very, very exciting. I, I'm getting excited just thinking about some of these things that you're, you're working on. Um, 
the first study that you brought to us is called the Preventing Early Renal Loss in Diabetes, or the PEARL study. And um, that's being done, I guess, in multiple clinical centers, and you're participating as one. Give us the background. What exactly is it doing? So this is sponsored by the National Institutes of Health, as well as the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. And the problem is that one in three people with type 1 diabetes will have their kidneys affected by diabetes. And in the worst case scenario, it can progress so that the kidneys actually fail and they need either to go on dialysis or a kidney transplant. So our goal is to prevent that. Um, We have done much better in recent years in terms of blood sugar control and blood pressure control and certain drugs to help protect the kidneys, but we're still not where we want to be. There are still people developing renal failure. So the idea of this study is based on laboratory work that has shown that uric acid, uh, which some people may recognize as being elevated in gout, um, but uric acid in high levels, not high enough to cause gout, but even what's considered high normal levels, uh, could be toxic to the kidneys. And reducing that by a drug that is been available in this country for decades called allopurinol might be able to further protect the kidneys. So let me just stop you for a moment. So to so as a layperson to understand this, basically in gout, uric acid is out of control or whatever causing the symptoms. And this allopurinol, which has been used to treat it, has been successful in treating gout. But in diabetes, there's also, in, in some pa- patients or in all patients, an elevated uric acid. So it doesn't have, what we're looking at is not even, frankly, elevated. Oh, So there's a, a normal range um, that goes from very low to a higher normal range. And there's evidence now that some uric acid levels are considered normal. So they would never cause gout. Um, but they're in the higher end of normal, that reducing that into the lower end of normal could help protect the kidneys. I see. And so that's what we're looking at. And so that study is, is ongoing right now? So that's ongoing. We um, have individuals who uh, are, are using, uh, have been randomized to receive that drug or a placebo in addition to all the usual treatment that we give for diabetes. And it's a three-year trial, and we hope to then to have an answer and an inexpensive drug to offer people to help preserve their kidney function. That's very exciting. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with endocrinologist Dr. Ruth Weinstock. We're talking about some new research efforts in diabetes that are taking place right here in central New York. Another one is a new type of insulin coming down the pike. Explain that one. Yeah, so this is a very novel form of insulin. So when uh, if you don't have diabetes, your pancreas, which is an organ in your belly and your abdomen, makes insulin. And that insulin get, is secreted and goes into the liver. So the liver sees higher amounts of insulin than uh, the rest of the body. And the liver is very important for your metabolism. When you inject insulin, as you do when you have diabetes, um, your whole body has to see higher levels of insulin in order for enough to get absorbed and get to the liver. Uh, This new insulin targets the liver. So when you inject it under the skin, instead of causing as high insulin levels in your blood vessels and all throughout your body, the liver sees higher levels as is more physiological as normally would happen if someone didn't have diabetes and the rest of the body a little less. And in very preliminary studies in animals, it's shown that there is less um, high blood sugars that 
and also less very low blood sugars, that metabolism is better controlled. So it's so, a more natural or more physiologic so it's way a, of delivering, delivering insulin. Wow. So um, so we are one of the first centers participating in this multi-center trial. This is also a national trial of, of several centers that um, will be looking at this. So for and this trial, we're enrolling people with type 1 diabetes who are using injection therapy, not insulin pump therapy, with a long-acting insulin, and they will be randomized to receive their usual long-acting insulin, and for the mealtime short-acting insulin, they will get insulin Lyspro, which is Humalog, which is commercially available, or Humalog with this uh, compound that directs it to the liver. So you'll find out if it really is effective or if it's more effective. Mm -hmm. Yes. Very exciting. So you're looking for people for that study as well. Yes. And in a few minutes, we'll talk about how people can get involved if they want to. so you also have a new study that's looking at the role of family history. Tell us about that. Yeah, so that. this is actually a study that's been going on a long time that's been sponsored by both the National Institutes of Health, the American Diabetes Association, and the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, and it's ongoing in diabetes centers across the country called TrialNet. The idea of this research effort is to actually to prevent type 1 diabetes. So we want to find better ways of predicting who will develop type 1 diabetes. And the ultimate goal is to develop a vaccine that would then prevent it. We're not there yet. Um, What we're doing in this study is we are taking first-degree relatives of people who have type 1 diabetes. For example, a sibling of a child with type 1 diabetes who is perfectly fine. They don't have diabetes. And looking for markers in the blood that indicate that there may be the beginning of destruction of insulin-producing cells. You don't develop diabetes until certain about threshold. 90% of your insulin-producing cells are gone, or 80% you know, if you're normal body weight. So, um, so we're hoping to be able to identify, so we're learning to better identify people at risk. Um, and that actually has a benefit for the patients because the few that we have identified who are positive, we have followed them more closely and they never got sick. We when their blood sugars started going up, we were able to put them on very, very low doses of insulin, oh. and they never had symptoms. They were never sick. So you basically so, could intervene and prevent the development? Is that the well, idea? Well, no, but we could treat them early. Okay. But there are some trials now to try to prevent the development. So we have some patients now who have certain uh, markers, and now we have certain experimental drugs that we can offer if they have a very high risk of developing type 1 diabetes uh, based on a variety of blood tests that we do, then we can uh, try and see if we can fool the immune system to stop destroying the insulin-producing cells. Hopefully they'll regenerate on their own and actually prevent or forestall the development. So, um, so So that is an effort that is ongoing now. So understanding, I guess just to underscore, understanding who might be at higher risk is key, is yes. very important. And so we've come a long way. We do understand that better from our from previous work. And now we're also looking to intervene. So anyone with a first-degree relative under the age of 40 who uh, with type 1 diabetes, we can screen them for this for free. Um, then if, it, if the screen is positive, then they have some additional choices if they want to proceed or not with other testing. I don't want to run out of time. I want to talk about a little bit of the future, and then I want to talk about your perspective on kind of this entire, your entire career and the changes that have taken place. So quickly, 
I guess in 2017, you're going to start engaging in a very exciting project. Tell us about that. Oh, we're so excited. So this is artificial pancreas. Now that, I so, have to stop you right there. That is amazing, and it sounds like sci-fi. So we are so excited about this. Um, so right now, we have commercially available insulin pumps that are uh, more convenient devices to deliver insulin, but they're still user-dependent in terms of uh, how much insulin uh, the individual gives themselves. And we have some continuous glucose monitoring devices, uh, glucose sensors, glucose is sugar, that monitors blood sugars periodically every few minutes and can alarm if you're going too high or too low. The goal is for the sensors to talk to the pump in such a way that the patient doesn't have to worry about their diabetes anymore. It's almost taking the patient out of it. So, so it's, that it becomes you, you, automatic. It, it's all automatic, and it keeps the blood sugars from going too low or too high. Um, and the pumps will have either just insulin in them or insulin and a hormone called glucagon that works opposite of insulin. So if the blood sugar is going too low, it can give a little bit of that, which your body normally does if you don't have diabetes, and prevent you from going too low. So we want to prevent blood sugar is going too low, which we call hypoglycemia, and too high hyperglycemia, and then we think we can prevent the complications of diabetes. So we're extremely excited to be able to be part of, uh, of this um, important trial of this artificial pancreas. And that's going to start in 2017. Yeah. Quickly, how would people get involved in any of these studies? What would they do? So our research unit is uh, area code 315. 464-9007. And we are doing studies with both type 1 and type 2 diabetes. So um, if you're interested, please give us a call. We'll have a link on our website as well. It's incredible. In the very, very few seconds we have left, can you believe where we've come from when you started in terms of the perspective? Just a quick statement about that. Unbelievable. Going forward, we couldn't even monitor blood sugars um, in the blood and didn't have and only had animal insulins to hopefully, by the time I require, my services will no longer yeah. be needed. <laughs> I mean, that's what I hope, that the artificial pancreas will be here, a cure will be here, and diabetes will be just of historical interest. That's what we all hope for. Well, thank you so much. It's so exciting to have you here. It's so exciting, all the work you're doing, and we're so appreciative. Thank you very much. My guest has been Dr. Ruth Weinstock, Distinguished Professor of Medicine, Research, uh, Professor of Neuroscience and Physiology, and the Division Chief of Endocrinology, Diabetes, and Metabolism at Upstate Medical University. I'm Linda Cohen, and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air.